the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. In spite of Israel's history of rebellion and faithlessness to God, he doesn't give up on them. And so too with us, right? In spite of us, in spite of our faithlessness, in spite of our wandering away from him, in spite of our backsliding at times, God loves us, he pursues us, he's unrelenting with us, he's forgiving when we sin and rebel, he receives us back to himself. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Can you confidently say you've always been faithful? Whether you're speaking of relationships or family or your job, I think it's safe to say that no one is completely faithful. Our circumstances change and our emotions change far too often to remain the same. Today, Pastor Dan encourages us with the fact that no matter how far you've strayed, no matter what damage you've done, you've never done so much that God won't take you back. He is faithful to you, even when you aren't faithful to Him. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, for today's edition of Ring of Truth. Chapters 30 to 33 in the book of Jeremiah are often referred to as the book of consolation or the book of comfort. Up to this point in the book of Jeremiah, the emphasis has been on judgment. The people of Judah have rebelled against God. They refuse to repent of their rebellion. And so God has been warning them throughout the book of Jeremiah that judgment will come upon them if they refuse to turn back. When we come now to chapters 30 to 33, God gives Israel hope, hope for their future. He describes in these chapters a future restoration of Israel, a restoration to God's favor and a restoration to their homeland. This section, it's looking ahead to the last days of human history. Chapter 30 focused on the return of the children of Israel to their homeland, back to the promised land. Again, we're talking in the last days. And you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, aren't the children of Israel in their homeland right now? <laughs> I mean, isn't there a nation called Israel again in the land that God gave to the children of Israel? Doesn't that nation exist? Hasn't it existed since 1948? Yes. So what does that say about the times we live in? God said that would happen in the last days, at the end of human history. And we see that happening in the world today. We see the rebirth of the nation of Israel. 
the return of the Jews back to their homeland. The rebirth of the nation of Israel is referred to as a super sign that we are living in the last days according to Scripture. So now we come to chapter 31. In chapter 31, the focus now is on the restoration of Israel's relationship with God. So in chapter 30, we have the people of Israel restored back to their homeland, the promised land, which again we see happening today. And then in chapter 31, their relationship with God will be restored. And so the people of Israel will be restored both physically and spiritually. And again, at this point, the people of Israel are in the days that we live in, they are restored back to their homeland, but their relationship with God has not been restored. That is yet to be fulfilled. They dwell in the land, but they dwell in unbelief. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37, Ezekiel has this vision of a valley filled with dry bones. And in the vision, the bones suddenly come back together and are restored and stand up and flesh comes onto the bones and then God breathes life into the bones. And God told Ezekiel, these bones are the whole house of Israel. God said, I will cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel and I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. And God has brought the nation of Israel up from the grave. He's brought them back into their own land, but he has not put his spirit into the people of Israel or into the Jewish people. That part of the prophecy is yet to be fulfilled and it will be fulfilled ultimately during the tribulation period, followed by the return of Jesus Christ to the earth. So now verse one of chapter 31, it says at the same time, says the Lord. And so uh, if you look back in chapter 30, the very last phrase of chapter 30 tells us that the time is the latter days or the last days. And at that same time, says the Lord. I will be the God of all the families of Israel and they shall be my people. And this is this is the theme of chapter 31, the restoration of Israel into a relationship with God. At that same time, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, all the tribes, and they shall be my people. And we see elsewhere in the Bible, the book of Revelation, for example, that In the second half of what is called the tribulation period, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, will turn to God. They will receive Jesus Christ as their Messiah. As the Apostle Paul said, all of Israel will be saved at that time. And and he talks to all the families of Israel, all 12 tribes. One of the things this verse reminds us of, it reminds us of the unrelenting love of God. That he never forsakes us, he never uh, gives up on us, he never leaves us. And here we see that God loves Israel and he will forgive Israel in spite of Israel's history of rebellion and faithlessness to God. He doesn't give up on them. And so too with us, right? In spite of us, in spite of our faithlessness, in spite of our wandering away from him. In spite of our backsliding at times, 
God loves us. He pursues us. He's unrelenting with us. He's forgiving when we sin and rebel. He receives us back to himself. Nothing can separate us from God's love. And thus says the Lord, the people, look what it says, who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. Israel, when I went to give him rest. Israel will find grace in the wilderness. I love that phrase, grace in the wilderness. Again, we know from elsewhere in Scripture, during the, during the tribulation period, the Jewish people will suffer a great persecution. Those living in Israel uh, will be forced to flee from the land. They will flee into the wilderness, into the desert. Don't think of a forest. Think of the desert. They'll flee into the desert. Remember back in chapter 30, verse 7, this time is called the time of Jacob's trouble, Israel's trouble. Zechariah, the prophet, tells us that during the tribulation period, that, that last seven years of human history, when God pours out his wrath upon this earth and, and the world is in like this last phase of rebellion against God, during that period, Zechariah tells us two-thirds of the Jewish people will perish during the tribulation period. They'll have a, another holocaust. And here the Lord says, the people who survived the sword, they found grace in the wilderness. If you're taking notes, Revelation 12.6 tells us that the people of Israel will flee into the wilderness to a place that God has prepared for them. And God will protect them. And God will provide for them. And they will find grace in the wilderness. The desert. The wilderness is harsh. The wilderness is difficult. It's hard just to make it through the day in the wilderness. But it's there that they find grace. Grace in the wilderness. Just listen to these verses from Hosea. Hosea chapter 2. There the Lord says, Therefore, behold, I will, speaking of Israel, I will allure her, and I will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. God will allure them into the wilderness, place of difficulty, place of harshness, and there God will speak comfort to her. And then he says, It shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband. And no longer call me my master. The relationship's going to change. They finally recognize God as their husband. And that change takes place in the wilderness. In that time of difficulty, in that time of harshness and trial, and where it's tough just to survive, it's there that they are going to learn that God is their husband, that God is their caretaker and their provider and their protector in the wilderness. Verse 3 says, the Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. The Lord says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. His love never ends. The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, I have loved you. Now, when did the Lord appear to them before? And tell them, the children of Israel, that he, he loved them. When did he declare his everlasting love to them? 
Well, he did that at Mount Sinai. After he brought them out of Egypt, brought them through the Red Sea, he took them to the mountain, brought them to the mountain, and it was there at the mountain that God declared his love. How did he declare his love for them? He entered into a covenant with them. He entered into a covenant with the people of Israel. And he says here, his love is an everlasting love. His love for his people Israel, it still remains. God's love doesn't change. In spite of Israel's history of rebellion against God, God still loved them. His love for them doesn't change. We'll return to Pastor Dan's message in just a moment. First, Pastor Dan would like to tell you about the new Calvary Chapel Ellicott City app. We recently launched an app for our church and we're really excited about it. It's designed to keep you connected to our radio ministry, Ring of Truth, as well as to our church, Calvary Chapel. And get this, we have over 1,200 sermons on the app. The app is super convenient, it's easy to use, and allows you to listen to Bible studies anytime, anywhere. So download the app right now, search for Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City in your app store, or just follow the links on our website at calvaryec.com. What a great way to stay connected to Scripture. Now, back to today's message on Ring of Truth. When we sin, when we go astray, God's love for us doesn't change just because we sin or because we've rebelled or we've turned our backs on Him. He doesn't love us less. He doesn't stop loving us. He has an everlasting love for us. And He says here, because He loves them, Look at what it says. Uh, With loving kindness, he drew them. I have drawn you. With loving kindness, I have drawn you. Now, Hosea, again, Hosea uses the same word, this word drawn, to describe God's love for Israel. Listen to what he says in Hosea 11, verse 4. I drew them. How did he draw them? He says, I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love. And I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck. And I stooped and I fed them. What is that describing? It's describing God's love and God humbling himself, right? He stooped and fed them. He took their yoke off, removed them from their bondage. He drew them with bands of love and he stooped and fed them. He loved them. He humbled himself to care for them, to provide for them. What an image. And here, Jeremiah says a similar thing about his love. With loving kindness, I have drawn you. Now it says in the Bible that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance, right? His gentleness. Look at the promise in verse 4. Again, I will build you and you shall be rebuilt. O virgin of Israel, you shall again be adorned with your tambourines and shall go forth in the dances of those who rejoice. So first God will draw them with his love. Again, this is talking about the latter days, the last days. He's going to draw them with his love and then he will rebuild them as a nation. Right? Same with us. That's our story. God drew us with his love, his loving kindness. We love him because he first loved us. And he drew us to himself with his love. And then what did he do? He rebuilt our lives. He took the mess we made of our lives and he made something new out of it. Right? That's just what he's going to do with Israel. 
Look what he calls Israel in verse four. Don't miss this. He says, O virgin of Israel. Israel has been unfaithful to God. They are guilty of spiritual adultery. God has said to them over and over through the prophets that they are guilty of adultery and prostitution, spiritual prostitution. Just back in chapter 30, the Lord referred to Israel's many lovers, the other nations that they looked to to save them instead of looking to their God. And yet here, God says, O virgin of Israel. When God forgives our sins, he remembers our sins no more. And it is just as if we've never sinned at all. And so here you have this nation that has been unfaithful to God. Listen to me, listen. Mount Sinai, back in Exodus, when he brings them out of Egypt, he sets them free and he takes them to Mount Sinai and he comes down on the mountain and they enter into that covenant That what is happening there, that is a picture of a marriage ceremony that's taking place where Jehovah now is taking the children of Israel to be his wife. As Moses is up on the mountain with God receiving the covenant, what are the children of Israel doing down beneath the mountain? They're building a golden calf and they're worshiping a golden calf. They were unfaithful on their wedding day. They've been unfaithful since the wedding day. Their whole history has been a history of unfaithfulness. And here he calls it my virgin bride. He remembers our sins no more. It doesn't matter what we've done or how long we've done it for or how bad it is. Jesus Christ washes all of our sins away by his shed blood. And he remembers our sins no more to the point where it's as if we've never sinned at all. He calls them virgins. On the day when you see Jesus Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, on the day when you see Jesus Christ, he will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. The only way he can say that to us is if he remembers our sins no more. If you remove all my sins and all my mistakes and all my rebellion, I've done a pretty good job. And you can say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've got to take those out, though. You see, he remembers our sins no more. So now he is calling The people of Israel, O virgin of Israel. He says in verse four, you shall again be adorned with your tambourines and you shall go forth in the dances of those who rejoice. Remember, when they came out of Egypt, they crossed through the Red Sea and God delivered them. They stood there on the shores of the Red Sea with Pharaoh and his army drowning in the Red Sea. And the women celebrated with tambourines and singing and dancing because God had delivered them. And we're told here in the last days when God once again saves the people of Israel, it will be like the exodus of old. They will once again sing and celebrate God's deliverance. Now look at verse five. You shall yet plant vines, vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. Again, we're talking about the last days. At the end of human history, the last days, when he restores them back into their land, you shall plant vines on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and eat them as ordinary food. Now, Samaria was in the northern kingdom. And remember, the northern kingdom was conquered by Assyria, 
about 136 years before the southern kingdom of Judah. So as Jeremiah is penning this prophecy, Samaria has been wiped out now at this point for 130 years. But here we're told that in the last days, God will bring all the tribes of Israel back into their own land, including the ten northern tribes, and they will plant vineyards in the mountains and the hills of Samaria. And guess what? If you go to Samaria today, guess what's there? Vineyards all over Samaria. On our trip to Israel earlier this summer, we went to Samaria and we saw some of the vineyards. We stopped at a winery for the view. There's this great overlook there that we went to for the view, but it was a winery. There's vineyards all over. In fact, there are This is extra information. It's not going to be on the test, but there are 150 wineries in Israel. Twenty nine of them are in the mountains of Samaria. In Israel, the Golan Heights in the north near the Galilee is known for its vineyards. There's only 14 vineyards in the Golan Heights. There's twenty nine in the Samaritan mountains. This is a newspaper article from a Jewish uh, Israeli newspaper. Israelis toast wineries in Judea and Samaria. And that's a picture of a winery, a vineyard in the hills of Samaria. It's an article about the great wine that's being produced in Samaria today. And here, the prophet Jeremiah, speaking for God, God said through him that in the last days, when he restores Israel to their land, they will plant vineyards in the hills of Samaria. And that's what you see today. Why are you saying we're living in the last days? It says this is what they're going to do in the last days, and it's happening. Now, remember, too, that whenever God says something in the Bible, it's never arbitrary. There's always a meaning. There's always a purpose in what he says. And so we always want to ask the question, why did God tell me that? Why did God tell me that? Why did he mention that specifically? Why did he say that they will plant vineyards in the mountains of Samaria. Why didn't he mention one of the other crops they grow in Samaria? Why didn't he say they will plant watermelons? Because they grow watermelons in Samaria too. Why didn't he mention watermelons? Why does he say vineyards? What is the significance of vineyards? Well, here's, here's the point. Vineyards can only be planted and grown in times of extended peace and extended security. You never planted a vineyard during unstable times or uncertain times because a vine required several years to produce a crop. If you're planting a vineyard, you're in it for the long haul. Uh, If you're a note taker, you can jot down Leviticus 19 verses 23 to 25. There it tells us that the fruit of the orchard or the fruit of the vine was not enjoyed by the owner until the fifth year of planting, the fifth year after planting. Look at verse five again. God promised they will plant vineyards in Samaria and the planter shall plant and eat them. If they will plant and eat the fruit of the vineyard, that means they will dwell safely in their homeland for at least five years. The implication here is that they're going to be secure in their own land for a long time, permanently, in fact. So this the vineyard is a symbol of safety. It's a symbol of security that Israel will enjoy 
in the last days. He asked me how I know, and I say, bring truer than the finest crystal. When you look at the book of Jeremiah at a glance, it seems like the overarching theme is judgment and negative consequence. But as you take a closer look, you're given a microscopic lens into the heart of God. Yes, there was judgment and eventual exile, but think about how long-suffering and patient God was in giving them multiple chances to repent from their ways and separate from their sin. What an amazing and hopeful picture of God's heart toward you. He is just and fair in handing out consequences to those who willfully go against what He's offering. But like a patient parent, He gives grace and mercy when you vacillate between following Him and venturing elsewhere. Ultimately, God wants you to choose Him wholeheartedly, and He wants to bless you. Take the book of Jeremiah as a continual reminder that God is gracious and merciful, but He'll bring judgment on those who refuse His ways. If you want to talk to someone and better understand what all of this means, don't hesitate to call us at 410-491-4592. That's 410-491-4592. We're so glad you joined us today on Ring of Truth. Feel free to study this book on your own in the meantime. In our next edition, Pastor Dan will share more from the book of Jeremiah and provide a deeper understanding of how to apply it to your life here on Ring of Truth. Rings true.